All righty, how are you? We're, it's the Midsummer Classic. We're halfway through the Major League Baseball season. We're halfway through 2022. So let's make this second half a good one. Whether it's baseball season, whether it's life, right? We got a halfway to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do it. All right, what we're going to do today is I sat down with Andy Freed. Long-time play-by-play voice on radio for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, I had his broadcast partner on, Dave Wills. Uh, I also talked with Bally Sports TV Rays sideline reporter, Tricia Whitaker. So it's, um, we're doing three right now, a trio. And boy, oh boy, he is a great, great, great storyteller. Easy to listen to. I'm talking about Andy Freed. And very, very interesting. He is, I think he's the only one that I've ever met that has only wanted to do one job since he was a little kid. I mean, a little kid, a little boy. And he's doing that exact job on what he said he was going to do. There was no plan B. He has no idea what he would have done had this not worked out, but it's worked out. Who can say that? You know, when you're little, you want to be a fireman or a policeman or I don't know. uh, And then you end up doing that and doing it successfully and still doing it today. Incredible story. Incredible story. We sat down in a suite at Tropicana Field located right next to the broadcast booth. And I really enjoyed this conversation. So you know what? Did you want to one day, wouldn't you love to be a play-by-play? If you were a baseball fan, can you imagine that? Listen to how he did it, all right? And then on the back end, I got some good stories for you, all right? Without further ado, 18 years going strong. Ray's play-by-play voice, along with his buddy, Dave Wills. Here he is! Andy Freed. All right, Andy. Andy Freed. Uh, play-by-play with the Tampa Bay Rays since, I believe, 2005. Is it is it that long that you and Dave Wills have been over the air with Rays baseball? We have been here since they wore green. Uh, so that was that's quite a while ago. And you think in the terms of the history of this franchise, what we've seen, you know, the the rise, a bit of a fall and then a rebirth uh, of the franchise. And now to the point where expectations are so high that if you don't make the playoffs, it feels like a bum year. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Let's just start off with you seem like you're still enthusiastic you still love coming to the ballpark Andy as much as you did from day one when you got this gig well I'm since long before day uh, one of getting this gig I mean this this is a dream that goes back to when I was eight years old and loved to get to the ballpark early to watch batting practice as you and I are recording this right now watching the race take batting practice it gives me the same thrill that it does then I don't know how I got so lucky as to fall into something career-wise that uh, that I love to do and living by that that old phrase if you find something you love then you never work a day in your life it's never felt like coming to work it's always felt like and look I know it is a job don't get me wrong but it's it's never felt like oh I have to go to work it's oh I get to go to work you know I I had a Sarah Walsh who was on NFL network and Fox sports sideline. And I had her on the podcast and I said, we were talking about her days where she was in local TV and I think it was Nashville and she gets the call 
call her agent. She's going to ESPN. And she's like, I dream of being on SportsCenter. And she was at SportsCenter. But she was also there for several years. And she goes, also, it is a job. And there are some days where it isn't always just the greatest. But overall, I know that you love it. Now, did you, when you were a kid, you grew up outside of Baltimore. Was your goal to be play-by-play of baseball? Did you have that dream and you have succeeded or was it to be a sportscaster? When did it start? It started on August 9th, 1979. I can tell you it was a day that uh, I I had no background in sports. My parents weren't into sports. I had no uh, great moment at age five, you know, loving a team. It was that day when I was eight years old that my uncle brought me to a game. He asked my mom, his sister, could I take him to an Oriole game? Because he was like the one guy in the family. There's two uncles in the family that liked the Orioles. And uh, he asked that they could take me to a game. And I'll never forget my mom saying, you might want to bring a book. You might get bored. And I was like, uh, okay, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, you know, I was eight years old. Hey, Uncle Dave's taking me to a, a what is it, a baseball game? Okay, let's go. And uh, from the moment I saw Memorial Stadium in Baltimore that day, I fell in love. And that day, more uh, importantly, there was a rain delay. And I know that sounds crazy, but it was an Orioles-Brewers game, and it was at least an hour and a half rain delay. And we got a chance to walk around the ballpark, and the field to me came to life, the rich colors, the uh, the lights shining on the field, just the triple-decker ballpark. But most importantly, as we were in line getting food during the rain delay, I remember hearing these voices echoing inside the main concourse at Memorial Stadium. And I can remember asking my Uncle Dave, what is that? Who who are those people? And he said, those are the announcers. Turned out it was Chuck Thompson and Bill O'Donnell, uh, who are a tremendous uh, pair of broadcasters for the Orioles that took them from the 60s into the 80s until Bill O'Donnell unfortunately died young. But Chuck Thompson was really the voice of the Orioles and the Colts, too, for that matter. Uh, and I absolutely fell in love. I wanted to know who that was, what he was doing, and I began listening to Orioles baseball nightly. I did not miss a broadcast. I couldn't tell you the last time from when I was a kid I missed a broadcast. It was always part of the day. Uh, And Chuck felt like he was uh, a a, a paternal figure, uh, like a favorite uncle or a grandfather. He connected with the listener, and he connected with me at age eight, and to me, if I could ever be that to someone listening, that would be the ultimate goal of, of my life, is to have the same connection and instill the same love for the game of baseball in a kid that Chuck Thompson did for me. That is amazing. Most had the father, maybe brothers, you just live sports. You didn't. It was the uncle and wow. Alright, so we kind of move ahead. You went to Towson, and you really immersed yourself in doing a lot in broadcasting when you were in college? The reason I went to Towson is because uh, they had a big radio station that uh, that was right there in the center of campus. And it was a public radio station, 10,016 watts, and they did all the sports for Towson State University. So I had no backup plan. I wasn't, I was lucky to even get in. I barely had the grades to get in because honestly, I spent most of my time as a kid holed up in my room broadcasting Status Pro Baseball, this little card game. And then when I got a chance to drive, I drive to Memorial Stadium. And back then you could just walk up and get a ticket and go to the upper deck with my tape recorder. I remember the night before my SATs, I went to a late Orioles game and broadcast into my uh, tape recorder and came home. And I was, oh, that's right. I got those SATs the next day. So I did terrible on the SAT. I don't know how I got into Towson to this day. Uh, that My whole focus was to be a Major League Baseball broadcaster. And... Uh, and 
lo and behold, I was able to get into Towson. Thank goodness. Now they have me back to speak to students. But uh, I don't even know how I got in, to be Isn't honest. I barely great. had the qualifications. Isn't but I uh, became sports director there and did all the Towson sports and got an internship with the Orioles and met John Miller. And uh, that that was a really, really big step in getting me contacts that to this day, the people are still friends uh, in the game of baseball that I still have. Wow. I remember when I was coming up and a young national reporter and got to interview John Miller like a Yankee Stadium and just his oh my god his voice and delivery oh my god out of Baltimore but of course known nationally as well all right so then you knew the deal I'm assuming to to start your way in 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 the minors right and we, I was very organized in my plan not really having anyone to model after I kind of made up my own plan that I would go through the minor leagues I I paid to to go to the winter meetings in 1993 in Atlanta and got a job in single A with the St. Lucie Mets and WPSL Radio which uh owned by Greg and Carol Wyatt Greg was one of the initial seven anchors at ESPN and by the mid 90s he and his wife had retired she was a reporter at CNN he was an anchor at ESPN one of the originals before Chris Berman believe it or not wow. he was one of the original seven and by the mid 90s they had retired and started a radio station and they still own radio uh, a couple radio stations on the east coast of Florida and, uh, worked with them for two years uh, and which was fabulous and then spent five years in double A and four years in triple A and it looks great now because it worked, but I had no idea that that plan would work. I was going to stay in the minors as long as it took, and it ended up taking 11 years, and then the job of the Rays opened up, and lo and behold, it happened. All right, this is the part that I love. When you, when you, when you got the call, okay, so you were Trenton Thunder. You go to Pawtucket, the Pawtucket Red Sox, which is a good, a good, a good deal, and you're in the Red Sox organization. You're AAA. Sometimes the guys in AAA are good. They just never, ever get it. So how, I know from Dave on his end, how did you get it? Were you sending out tapes like crazy? Did you audition? How did it go down? My plan. Whoops, sorry. Go ahead. My plan was to carpet bomb professional baseball and get everyone my tape every year. Uh, so it sounds obsessive, but I was. I was absolutely obsessed with it. When I when I was looking to get in, I sent my tape to every single A, double A, triple A, and major league team. And when I got to double A, I sent it to every triple A and major league team. And when I got to triple A, I sent it to every major league team. So by the time I got to the big leagues, I found out, I didn't know it at the time, but I found out that a lot of people knew my name because I had been probably pestering them with my tapes for for a dozen years at that point. And was this you in general? Did you have an agent or you did it yourself? I pretty much did it all myself. Uh, when when my wife came into the picture, when I met her in uh, New Jersey in double A ball, 1996, it became more than just my dream. It became our dream. Uh, so we would work together. And, and my by the way, you don't make much money in the minor leagues, but we would budget at least $1,000 set aside every year to come up with a really fancy looking resume and uh, this is how old we're getting, Rock. No, cassette no. tape I, uh, I that, <laughs> that oh, I would I send it. out. And uh, in fact, it, it sounds corny, but in in the corner of each of those of those uh, specialized cassette tapes and CDs, it said A and A Productions for Amy and Andy Productions. So it became our dream, and she helped me quite a bit, and endlessly supportive. And I don't know if I would have made it without her. That and you go. Oh my God, you got to have your wife on board. You're not making the money. Okay. 
So she was a nurse. That's how we that's how we got by in the minor leagues, by the way. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so now you're at Pawtucket. How did this come about? I got, I got really close to a big league job a couple of times, in particular in 2002 with the Angels. I ended up the runner up there. Uh, and I was bummed out because I thought that there was your shot. There it went and you didn't get it. And maybe you'll never get there. And by that point, we we had a house and we had a daughter and it was starting to get to be where I felt like the baseball gods were testing me. How much do you really want? How much are you willing to, to do this? How long are you willing to, to put in your time in the minors? I felt like I was ready. Uh, but as many friends of mine that I think are terrific broadcasters, they just haven't gotten the opportunity. Right. Uh, and, and thankfully right. I did. February 1st, 3.58 in the afternoon, I got a call from the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, and I had sent my tape to them like I had with everyone else. And, uh, and they offered me the job. And Rock, I'm not going to lie to you, I cried all the way home. Uh, and it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't because I got my dream. It was because we got our dream. I was going to be able to provide a better life. And a, a much better living uh, for my wife and, and baby girl. That, to me, was what, what did it all. And over the course of time, you learn in life that you can become obsessed with work, but it's really the combination of personal life and professional life. Right. I was going to get a chance to live my dream. At the same time, it was finally all this work and heartache and sweat and tears was going to pay off for my wife and daughter. And, uh, and it's only been, how many times in life, Rock, honestly, do you dream about something forever? And then you get there, and I'm not speaking in hyperbolic fashion. It's been better than I could have ever imagined wow. working at least 18 years, uh, hopefully wow. more, with the a, with a Tampa Bay Rays. Was it a call? Did you get off the phone? Was your wife there? Did you ha did you call her? Wow. Uh, I, it, I got a phone call, and, uh, and when I found out that they made me the offer, I said somehow, instead of just blabbering, yeah, I'll take it, I'll take it, I said, let me talk to my wife. Oh, you're good. You know, as my heart is pounding through my chest, <laughs> let me let me give me one day. And, and the Rays were great. And they said, "Yeah, call us back." And I went home. And I, and the, the hard part was, my daughter was one, so I get home and it's four thirty or whatever in the in the afternoon. And they were taking a nap, and I could not <laughs> keep my energy in. And I'm jumping up and down in the bedroom, like, "We got it, we got it, we got it, we got it." And they were like waking up, and she's like. What is going on in here? So it was a really panicked scene. But uh, I remember seeing my one-year-old daughter, who's now uh, 19 and in college. I remember throwing her arms up in the air. And, what it, you know, she sees mom and dad are happy. So it was really a sweet, sweet moment. And I, the coolest thing about it was I was dying to tell everybody. But my wife grabbed my arm and she said, let's go to dinner. Let's have this just be our news. And then when we come home. We'll tell everybody. Oh, I'm like, you're you know what? me up. That's a that's a great a great idea. So we did, and we kind of sat on the news for a couple hours, and then we came home, and she called your parents, I called my parents, and it's been a dream come true. Wow. Now, if I remember correctly, Dave told me that you guys, your partner Dave Wells, all these years, had not met. Was that true? Right. You had not met your partner. No, we we met at FanFest in 2005, weeks before the season. Uh, we moved down. I got that call was on February 1st. We moved down. Oh, by the end of the month. And I think my official starting day for Dave and I is March 1st of 2005. That spring training is already underway at that point. So we met at FanFest and then we met 
And then Vince Moley, who was still the owner, wanted us to do a practice game into a tape recorder. And Dave and I are like, we're just moving our families here. If this doesn't work, are we done? Do we go back to nowhere? What do we do? Thankfully, it seemed to work. Um, and uh, I guess we passed uh, Vince's test and they kept us here. And then Stu came in and it's just been it's been wonderful. I really I, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, pie in the sky but honest to goodness it's been as good as i could have ever hoped and better. you you earned it and the persistence and all that you took the advantage when you get the opportunity you got to be ready and you were yeah. ready so you and dave it's unbelievable i mean you would think that being together for so long and so the season is long and the grind is long and I, it looks like it's real. I see you too. And I'm like, they really do like being together. Is that true? It is. And, and other announcers tease us around the league that no. we, that we do everything together. But I mean, that comes out of the fact that we have the same schedule every day too. Um, you know, we, we both talk to the manager at the same time and we do our other pregame interviews at the same time. And both of us like to hear what the other is saying. So we're both coming from a same, you know, common denominator for that night's broadcast. But it wouldn't work if we weren't friends uh, that that for whatever reason came very, very easily. I don't know yeah. if it's because we both have time in the minor leagues. We both seem to have a perspective and and, and know how fortunate we are to have this gig right now. Uh, and how so many good broadcasters never get that opportunity. Uh, and and I've, I've learned along the way that if you, if you don't get uh, a good partner, that booth can get very small very fast. And we've never had that moment. We very rarely over 18 years have ever had a crossword. And that's, you know, we joke that we're each other's work wives. And, you know, you have a bad day. You come in, you're in a bad mood. Right. You, you snap at somebody or, or yeah. whatever. That has happened so infrequently uh, that uh, and, and usually because, you know, all right. I, he's having a rough day. Give him some space, whatever, and then I'll I'll come back. But that that so infrequently happens that we just are very much in sync from the time we met to the time we went went to dinner uh, over in St. Pete. And uh, it just I like this guy. Yeah, it's, it's I I like to talk baseball with Dave Wills. And he likes to talk baseball with me. And and then you get close to each other. Our families are close. We both have daughters. We both came out of the minor league. So it, for whatever reason, it's been almost effortless. I've never felt a day where I don't want to go in and talk baseball to Dave. And honestly, when the Rays are going bad, there's no one I like to gripe to more once that microphone goes off than Dave. That's awesome. Uh, and there's no one that I like to celebrate a win more with than Dave. That's uh, awesome. We just have a good time together and you go through the good times and bad times together and and there have been plenty of them with this franchise, good and bad. Now, just to not go too much longer, but I know that there's been a lot of highs, a lot of different big moments. Is there anything at the top of your mind that you that really stands out to you in your career? I'm, I'm sure there's so many. Winning the pennant is just spectacular. Uh, I can't wait for the day that this franchise wins a World Series because uh, not only do they deserve it, I think they've been a pioneering, groundbreaking franchise. I love the fact that we're lucky enough to have ownership and management that allows us to see a lot of the behind the scenes. We've been so lucky to develop great friendships with Joe Madden and with Kevin Cash. And even for the one year with Lou Pinella, Lou was terrific to hang around with. So I've never lost that love of wanting to learn about baseball. And uh, all those guys have been fabulous teachers and give us all the time we need to even ask questions that may not even be appropriate for the air, right. but you learn. And, and from there, the, the broadcast moves forward. So, I mean, it's winning is great, but even if you're not having a great year, it's still fun to come to the ballpark every day. Well, how do you feel about as far as like the players? 
and players are going to be in baseball. Oh my God, it's a big failure. It's like if you three out of 10 times at bat, you're a Hall of Famer if you bat 300. So, I mean, it's tough. It's really, really a tough game. Um, but when a player isn't doing good, but you're also like the home teams. So, you got to, I guess you got to kind of have a balance. You can't BS, but you also, am I right? There like, isn't does, a moment that I don't appreciate, and I'll speak for Dave too, that we don't appreciate the support we get from upper management. Because first of all, Dave and I are very fair, but we're also, you can't, for example, this year, what's going on with the Rays defense? We've not been able to figure that one out. Drop fly balls of last night, the play where G-Man dropped it at first. It just doesn't make sense. I can't sit there and say that was a great play when it clearly wasn't a great play. But I've found over the years, even with players, that if you're fair, and we're definitely fair, that, that doesn't, factor into it at all uh and they're fine you know look they know that they they made a mistake but if you're fair about it and you're not ripping them personally which i would never do they're giving their best effort out there uh i, I can't think, especially since joe got here i don't ever remember many times where a guy didn't hustle up the first baseline if he doesn't we'd point it out but that just doesn't happen so Generally, it's it's a pretty easy team to broadcast for. And I remember early in in our years when it was the Devil Rays, and you remember some oh, of the yeah. Devil Rays oh. years when uh, they were playing hard, but you know they just didn't have the horses to right. to win in this division. I remember one of our team presidents came up to us and said, "Boy, I thought you were going to put the knife in a little harder there. You went pretty easy on yeah, us." How about that? How many team presidents of Major League Baseball say that to their broadcasters? The answer: None. None. Uh, so that that told me everything right there. That as long as you're fair with it, then you get support. And I I can't. And honestly, and maybe it's because we generally tend to have young teams. Um, the guys are pretty excited to be here <laughs> in big league baseball. So. We're excited to be here. They're excited to be here. And, you know, when the team isn't going well, sure, you can criticize as long as it's not over the top and as long as it's not personal. Play 162 games, you're going to have some clunkers in there. But right. generally, we've won so much over the last few years, it hasn't been hard at all. That is a good point. You've won and you also have had young players. You don't have these old crotchety veterans that are hanging on. And right, that's a good point. All right, we're in the eighth inning now. How long do you want to go? Do you want to go as long as you know that you still sound good? Uh, uh, what do you think? My wife has said to me, and she's been endlessly supportive. She said, I don't want the only stipulation she's ever given to me. She goes, I want us to have some retirement years together. You know, we've, we're raising three kids. Uh, there's been a lot going on. She homeschools them all. Uh, and once they get through God college, and exactly, that ain't easy. Uh, she goes, I, I want to have some time where maybe we can get some years together after the kids are out and where we're still healthy and we still have our marbles and we can maybe travel around and do stuff. When that is, we don't know. Uh, maybe mid-60s, uh, if the Rays are nice enough to have me around, I'd be elated to be here. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. Once I got this job, I never have. And I hope to be here to see the continual rise of the franchise. Here's how I ended. I ask all of my guests, and I'm sure you've gotten this over the years. What is the best piece of advice that you can give an aspiring young broadcaster? Well, there's a lot, but uh, I, this sounds like you've probably heard this, but I'll try to word it in a different way. Don't try to be Vin Scully. Don't try to be Jack Buck. Don't try to be Joe Buck. Don't try to be... They're already taken. Those personalities are taken. Find out what makes you you. John Miller sat me down and said that to me. He goes, you in my younger days, you got to figure out what makes you you, what makes you special, and what makes you uh, have the ability to provide something to the broadcast. You know, when we do a spring training game, 
some I've seen some guys pour they ah, throw it away to spring training game. But to me, you're still on the air. You're doing a big league game. I still have enthusiasm for that. I would hope that my love for the game comes through, nice. my willingness to learn and not take myself so seriously. The broadcast is not about me. It is not about some special call that I say whenever a home run happens or whenever something great happens. It's a, to me, the stars are on the field. And if I can provide that connection to the listener at home, the guy in his car, uh, the woman that's doing some yard work, whatever, uh, the kid that's listening uh, in his in his bedroom at night on the phone or whatever your kids listen to now, then that to me is what I want to provide. I want to be the, the Chuck Thompson for a kid out there. And we are lucky enough to have this game, to be in this game for a short amount of time. It was here before we were here. It'll be here after we're here. My goal is to hand it off to the next generation better than what I found. What a good man. I can't thank you enough. Andy, thank you. Continued success. Anytime. Thrilled to be here. I got to tell you, you, at the end of all these Rock Stops Here podcasts, I always ask my guest, what advice do you have? Because everybody that I'm interviewing is successful. They've made it. They've made it in a field that they wanted to be in. How many of you can say that you've made it in a field of exactly what you wanted to do? <laughs> Any of you? Are you doing exactly what you wanted to do and you're really at the top? Uh, and when I asked it, what advice do you have, do you know that he gave the exact same advice as his longtime broadcast partner, Dave Wills? Don't be... Harry Carey. Don't try to be Joe Buck. Don't try to be be yourself. They both gave the exact same advice. That's the first time it's ever happened. But, you know, they're side by side. They travel together. They work together so many hours. They see each other more than they see their spouses. And they must think alike. So they gave the exact same advice. How about that? But they really do get along. It's incredible. And how about that? He didn't want to do anything else. And, and he's done it. Incredible. Incredible. So, Andy, I thank you very much. Uh, Ray's Radio, thank you for letting me borrow him for a few minutes before a game at Tropicana Field. And there you go. You know what I was thinking about it, too? We have the baseball. It's, you know, it's the baseball all-star classic, the uh, summer classic, and, you know, all the act- uh, festivities that go along. Now, I was going to go. Two things. It's in Los Angeles, and the way the flights are and how expensive everything is, I was like, huh? So I ended up going to, uh, I'm going to sit down with Joe Madden at his charity event, so I'm really looking forward to that. That should be great. Uh, So I'm doing that instead. But of all the all-star games, the NBA, the NHL, the MLS, if you're a soccer aficionado, or... You know, forget about the uh, the the pro football uh, pro bowl. Forget about that. That's they 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 it's it's, it's terrible. Major League Baseball's All Star Game is the best All Star Game because a pitcher is not going like for the NHL All Star Game. There's no defense. The same thing with the NBA. There's no defense. So they just it's just shoot around and you can go up and down the ice or down the court. Well, with the Major League Baseball All Star Game. A pitcher is not going to tow that rubber and throw, I'll throw 82 and just throw straight and let him hit it. Or a batter isn't going to go up there and go, you know what, man, maybe I'll just, I'll miss it. Or, you know what, it's just like batting practice. I don't care. No. They're trying to hit it and get on base. Uh, Pitchers are trying to get guys out. 
the defense is going to, you know, throw and field as best that they can. And it's the best all-star game. And, and fans love to see the stars. I know there's been, you know, all the voting and, and this guy and sometimes this guy is injured to a Tatis. Wasn't he up there among the leaders? Hasn't even played in so long. You know what? Fans like to see the stars. And I think the Major League Baseball All-Star game ever since I was a kid. I remember when I was little and in Little League. And um, I stayed over at my friend's house and we watched the All-Star game and it was a sleepover. You know, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And you know what? I, I don't know what now. I'm past the midlife crisis. That's I'm past that. I, I if you know me. And most of you don't really. I play. I did pitch baseball for a long time. I'm a left-handed pitcher, and I pitched in college. And I also pitched in these men's leagues in uh, New Jersey. Then when I moved to Colorado, and then of course here in Florida for a long time. And I looked at my mitt. The I used to keep. Are you a lot of you guys that played baseball? I bet you didn't. You always keep your mitt in your trunk, a mitt and a baseball, or I've always kept a basketball in my trunk up until maybe, I don't know, 12 years ago or something like that, uh, 10 years ago. Well, my mitt has been out in the garage and stuff down here in Florida just, it, it, it basically almost disintegrates. And so I checked out my baseball mitt the other day and it basically is just like falling apart. It's black because of the heat. And so I went, I had to do something in St. Pete and I went to this field where when I was pitching in these local leagues, I used to run. All I would do is a sprint and then walk back. I don't like long distance run. I've never been a long distance runner. It's just not me. I, so anyway, I did one and I back and I'm like, wow, I missed that. I actually missed throwing, but I've had two shoulder surgeries because I brutalized my shoulder from just year round pitching in leagues and I don't have any, I can sleep and I don't have any, you know, pain in my shoulder anymore. So I don't want to whip the ball around, but I'm like, you know what? I just missed throwing a baseball. And so... I went to, you know how there's a shortage for everything? I went to, was I in Target or, I? there was like no baseballs. I'm like, you're kidding, there's a shortage for that? And I really was looking for what we used to call in New Jersey a mush ball. It's hard like a baseball, but it's really hard rubber because I'm going to throw it against a wall. They have these tennis courts where we live, and they have these walls that are high up where you can practice tennis. Well, what I used to always do, instead of trying to find somebody to catch me and all that, I always did it on my own. During the week, I would just throw against a wall or against one of these things. I'm like, I'm just going to start throwing it again. Like I said, I'm already past my midlife crisis, so I don't know what's going on. But, uh, and I was in Walmart today, this morning. And I'm like, I looked, I bought myself a baseball mitt at my age. Yes, I bought myself a baseball mitt. It's really a softball mitt. And I got that and I got a, a baseball. It's a T-ball because it's soft. Not, I don't want hard because it'll, I'm throwing it against a concrete wall. The T-ball 
It's a T-ball baseball. It costs like five bucks. I, baseballs used to be like a dollar twenty-five or something, you know. And I'm like, my wife is gonna laugh. So here I got myself my mitt. I went to where the tennis courts are, and I just did my motion and throwing real easy from a windup and throwing from a stretch, just real easy. I'm not going to be whipping the ball around. I don't want to rip any shoulder. I don't want to have any more surgeries. I'm too old, but I just felt like doing it. And I remember years ago, uh, Steve DeBerg, you ever hear that name? He was a former NFL quarterback. He had been retired a long time. He was probably like early 50s. And he told me, he goes, I just love throwing a football. I still throw a football. He would play golf and he would have a football in his bag. And they'd get to a hole. How far is that hole? And DeBerg said he'd wait. Maybe the sixth, seventh, eighth hole. They got a couple of cold ones in him. And he'd take the football out and he would throw it to the green. And he's like, all right, it's about uh, 45 yards. Because he knew from throwing a football so many years how far away it was. And I'm like, he goes, I just love throwing a football. Well, I love throwing a baseball. So I'm going to start. And then I did. I went to another field and I ran like six sprints, not hard, and then walked back because I already go to a gym, Anytime Fitness, uh, but I don't do any cardio. (laughs) I haven't. I'm not a runner. Sorry. So we'll see how long it lasts. But like I said, I'm, and you know what? You know what? I was thinking about this the other day. I have been fortunate enough to be asked to throw out first pitches. Now, there was a guy in the local market here. He's a videographer, he made a big deal about it. He's a big Rays fan. He's a good guy, Paul. And they asked him to throw out a first pitch. He's a huge Rays fan. And you can tell he's not a baseball pitcher, but he did the whole thing. He mimicked the guy that was catching him um, that's on the Rays. He did a good job. He brought the whole family out. It was a big thing. And I was, and then there's other friends that I have that are still in broadcasting that have been asked to throw out a first pitch. And it was funny. I have, I've thrown out first pitches in the Florida State League. Now that's a minor league here in this area in Florida. Uh, it used to be high A, now it's a lower A, but I, I've thrown out pitches in uh, Tampa that were the Yankees. Uh, and I've done spring training games. Never a major league regular season game, but I have thrown out spring training games. Uh, high school tournament, this and that, throwing a first pitch. You know, I always try to try because the first time I did it, I was throwing in a league nine innings every week. And I was like, oh, my God, throwing out a first pitch. I didn't warm up or anything. And I I, I, I did a short bounce to the left, like almost like pulling it. Yeah. I was embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God. So anytime I was ever asked to do a first pitch, I would try to just throw easy to somebody on the sidelines. You got to warm up a little bit. But nobody asked me now to throw out a first pitch because I'm really, I'm nobody. I'm not in any particular uh, TV or radio station. You know, I do this podcast, another podcast, work for the Temp Free Press. But I'm really, and I, and I remember this. I was thinking about this today. And I was laughing. It's not like I'm all, oh, I'm sad. No, I was laughing. I'm like, Jim Levitt used to be a, a football coach. He was the USF, University of South Florida, head football coach. 
And then he went on. He was with the San Francisco 49ers. He knew the Harbaugh family. He was the linebackers coach, I believe. Uh, and then he was the defensive coordinator for the University of Colorado. And uh, he was out with the, uh, what was he with Oregon? Um, and then where else was FAU? And I don't think he's coaching at all now. Oh, what was the last one? Texas uh, SMU? But, but I'll never forget, I used to host the Jim Levitt show on local TV. I think we were also on Sports Channel. And I remember sitting there, and I remember him saying to me, I remember it clear as day, it had to be 15 years ago, 20 years ago maybe, probably 20. And he said, you know, there's going to come a day when they're not going to ask us to, to do stuff for them. Oh, that day is going to come. You'll see. And I just kind of laughed it off because I'm like, oh, they're asking me to do this or, oh, I got to make an appearance over here. And I'm already out at these games and stuff. Why do I have to do these appearances? And he goes, there's going to come a day when nobody's going to ask, nobody's going to ask anymore. And I just had to laugh because here I am. I bought a mitt at Walmart. I bought a T-ball, a ball to throw against a wall. What am I throwing for and getting in shape? Maybe somebody will ask me to do a first pitch. <laughs> That's kind of sad, isn't it? No, I just like, I, 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 I miss throwing a ball. I miss throwing a ball. So there you go. But you know, so anyway, but Jim Levitt was right. You know, the day come. you know, be careful for what you wish for. When you're in it and you're working in radio and you're working in TV and you're busy and they're asking you to go here or there, can you make an appearance here, there, and there? And you're like, oh man, no, I, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. And then the day comes, like now, when no one asks for you. So there you go. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Something else that I saw today and then the field that I was at. Uh, a couple of days ago where I started my first time I did a, like my, a couple of sprints again. There are these nice baseball fields, all right, in this recreation complex, but they're locked. They're locked up. I guess they don't want to have vandalism or, you know, somebody might mess up the field. But I thought about it and there was a big sign on the field where I ran today and it said, Field only in use by permit, by permit or whatever, like, you know, written approval. Like, so in other words, if you're a kid that likes soccer, if you're a kid that plays football and you want to practice with your buddy on a football field, or God forbid you like to play baseball, you can't go on the field. You have to. It's only if it's going to be an official team or you get a permit to be able to use it. And I was just like, look at that. So when you say, oh, not many kids are playing baseball. Well, they can't get on these fields anymore. You know, it used to be where we would ride our bikes or just go to a field and just have a couple of balls and a bat. And maybe one guy, you know, if it's a right-handed batter, a guy's by shortstop, guy plays left field, guy's throwing and hitting, you know, boom. You don't do that anymore because the fields are locked up. It's just a different time and place, but it's just like, no wonder, right? If it's not an official practice, kids are not going to go. And you got to join a team and to be able to get a permit 
to get on the on the field. Now, I remember before I had my uh, gallbladder operation, right before it, uh, or was it? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to work out at this place, another another recreation park outside in the heat. They had a couple of these uh, exercise stations, and I remember. It was probably about three years ago. It was in Clearwater, Florida. And I saw three guys. You know what they did? They jumped the fence near a dugout and they were playing on this field. One guy was pitching. One guy was hitting. One guy was playing left field. And they were having a ball. And they were big enough where they really should have been on a big field, but they were playing on a little league field. And so they were hitting a couple of home runs and I even got the ball one time and threw it over. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell, but I mean, they jumped the fence now. Now I'm, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Nobody was around at the time. And I was like, look at that. They, they, you know, they're having, and they were having a blast having a blast because it's still fun. Like, what when you first played baseball, why did you play? Because it was fun, right? When you go to the courts and it's pickup hoop, you want to go and play and you want to try to kick ass and you want to play, but it's fun, you know? Or if you got up a couple of guys and played two-on-two, if you got enough three-on- Three or one guy, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, and then he can rush and you can play. You don't even have to have flags, two hand touch. Why? Because it was fun. We don't have that hardly anymore. You got to join the team. And God, you better try to get on that travel team because, oh, if you don't, you know, you got to play year round on the one sport. But when I just saw that today and it just, I saw the sign, I was like, wow, it's locked. Only by permit this field. You know, aren't these recreation complexes, shouldn't they be for the public? Oh, and there's another thing too. My wife and I, you can tell it's because getting up in age. Now, she's much, much, much younger than me. But we want to start playing pickleball. Have any of you guys played pickleball? Everybody tells me it's great. You don't have to run as much as tennis. Um, But the problem is where we live here, it's called Pinellas County, Florida, we can't find any, there's no pickleball courts. Like there's one at a YMCA but you got to join that YMCA in order to play. And, you know, I read this thing, um, I don't know, about six months ago. Oh, Tampa is like the home for pickleball, the fastest growing market for pickleball players. Well, where, where are the courts? I mean, I guess Hillsborough County has some because the guy that I used to work with, Martin Gramatica, uh, the former Buccaneer kicker, he and his wife play pickleball, and he said they just go right down the street from where they live, but they're in Hillsborough County. I'm in Pinellas County, and there's no... So this stuff about a fast-growing market for pickleball, like where? But that's something that we could do together. We still do hit the tennis ball and go out on occasion. Uh, she loves it because she played in high school. She used to be an instructor at a camp. She likes tennis. I like... It's something that we could do together. And we would like to start pickleball, but where, where are we going to play? Where are we going to play? Get out the court, you know? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Um, 
Yes, this is this. Oh, when do you hear this story? So check this out. Now, last week I had been saving two interviews, uh, IndyCar rookie drivers, Kyle Kirkwood with AJ Foy Racing and Tatiana Calderon. I interviewed them many, 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 many weeks ago and I had it saved. And I said, okay, time, we're halfway through, a little bit past halfway through the IndyCar season. Let me, let me, let me, let me play that. So that's what I had last week, two IndyCar drivers. I was, oh yeah, because I had cancer on my skin, my face, my cheek, you know, down here in Florida all the year, blah, blah, blah. And I went to a dermatologist. Yeah, you got to do that now and get checked. And he's like, and he came back, all right, well, this is cancer. So we'll take it out. So we just cut, you know, boom. I came back in and we got to get a little bit more out. Boom. So I had, a, I had stitches and he's great. He, he's the man in St. Pete. But anyway, so for one week I had to wear a big, big, it's huge. Cause he had to go get more and make it bigger. So I had these stitches and I had a big patch and it's like, eh. but you know, big deal. So I had to go get him removed, uh, two days ago. So I was in St. Pete and I was driving through downtown St. Pete, actually by the water. There's this one, uh, road street that goes along the waterfront and you can see they have some nice restaurants and little shops and then you can go to the pier if you want. But anyway, I was driving, check this out. This is a true story. I was driving down and I remembered, I must've been in my IndyCar remembrance last week. And I was like, you know what? That's where I ran into Dan Weldon. Now, if you don't follow IndyCar, Dan Weldon was a race car driver from England. He ended up moving to St. Pete because he loves St. Pete. He and his wife, Susie, she was his publicist. They got married and they had two kids and they lived in uh, Snell Isle, it's called. And they loved St. Pete. So... I got to know Dan Weldon. He was great. He had a good sense of humor. Oh, he was great. And I really, I kind of like hit it off. I just got along with him really good. And he came in, did several interviews when I was in uh, television at Bay News 9. Uh, He had a run-in with Danica Patrick. I think it's probably uh, still on YouTube. He got out of his car. He was going to, they were going to fight, but I mean, he's not going to really fight a woman, but whatever she did to him on the road. And, And they really didn't, they didn't see eye to eye, man. He was kind of kidding around. I think she did a Playboy spread or something, and he's. It was. It was ribbing. Okay, let's put it like that. Well, when he made some comments, I think it was ESPN who wanted to do. Uh, a, they call it a talkback, a, a talkback interview. Now you can do it from your house, but at the time, if if a national network wants to do an interview with you, say you live in Indianapolis, you live in Nashville, they will have you go to a station in Nashville or in Indy and they'll pay for the satellite time and then they'll do their host will ask you questions. They put on what they call an IFB and you're lie, you know, and it's called a talkback. Well, they wanted to do a talk back and they wanted to use our station. We had moved to this place called Feather Sound and, you know, we knew Dan and my producer, Chris Alliance. We set it all up, blah, blah, blah. And then once he came in and did that, then he did an interview with, for me, for the Sports Connection and we busted in, you know, talked to each other. So my point is, 
I had a good working relationship that I really connected with Dan Weldon. And then Dan Weldon died in a horrific crash in Las Vegas. And it was, that's, that's, that's the nature of racing at any time at those speeds. And they all know it. They could, they could perish. So I was driving in St. Pete and I looked over and in this high rise on the first floor, there used to be this coffee shop. They had bakery goods. And I remember being in there with my wife and Dan Weldon came in with Susie and we introduced each other. And this is Dan, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. We talked for a little bit. They went to their table. They had coffee, Emily and I. And she goes, I said, that's a, that's a race car driver. Dan Weldon, very successful. And you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So I just remember that. I remember that. I was like, wow, Dan Weldon, how you doing, Dan? I looked up to the sky like, there's Dan. Yep. Boy, I remember when I, I introduced Emily to you and your wife right there. And then I just went by on my merry way. Okay. I drove up what's called fourth street in St. Pete heading towards what's Gandhi Boulevard. I'm driving. I stop at a light. I look down on my phone and up pops a picture of me, Dan Weldon, the mayor of St. Pete, Tom Ramsberger, who used to run the Grand Prix of St. Pete race in St. Pete, and one other dignitary, and we were at Janus Landing. It was Dan Weldon Day. He had just won the Indy 500, and St. Pete wanted to give him a Dan Weldon Day because he was the resident of St. Pete, and they asked me to host, to MC the day. And I was up there on stage with him. We all took a glass of milk, you know, celebrating the Indy 500. That picture came out of nowhere. It's it's listed on my Facebook as like some type of remembrance or something like that. But it just, at a light, it just, boom, my phone lit up. And there was a picture of me with Dan at Dan Weldon Day at Janice Landing in St. Pete because I had just thought about him and might even have said it out loud in my car in St. Pete. How about, do you, what do you, I mean, how about that? How about that? Now, maybe it was just random and that was meant to be. That picture from that many years ago was just going to pop up. And you know when a phone, when something like that, it, it's like notifies you. It just, it just came up. I just, it's just, it's something. It's something, something, something. Um, you know what? I'm not going to really get into this today. I know that the Rays Stadium saga is still out there. It really is a shame. And, you know, there's newcomers that have come into this market now and they all have an opinion. And I saw one guy mention, oh, the old OGs will recognize this. Remember when the Rays wanted to have the Al Lang Stadium site with this uh, tarp over? It was going to be open air. You would feel the breeze. The breeze. I'm sorry, man. We're going through our, our summer right now. 
Are you going to sit outside and pay Major League Baseball prices for parking, concessions, and seat tickets to sit in this heat and humidity? I'm not. <laughs> you got to have the air conditioning. There, You know what? When I started this podcast, there's a name, Mark Valdez. He pitched in Major League Baseball. He was a Florida Gator, very, very good. And I did a little podcast with him. He's friends with Jason, and they also played in the major leagues. And And he was telling me, he's like, when he does uh, lessons or he has these camps for kids down here in Florida in the middle of the summer, you can't do it outside. It's too damn hot. The kids don't want to be there. The parents don't want to drop the kids off there. The coaches and instructors don't want to be there. You got to do it indoors in air conditioning. And I know some of you are saying, oh, you're soft. Oh, well, screw you. I mean, it's that hot. And when anybody shows me a picture of like an open air with a little breeze coming off the bay, I'm sorry. It just, you got to have a dome or retractable and that costs so much and you got to have the AC down here. But when I saw that, you know, I want to close by, by giving uh, some props and his name is Chris Elias. He and I worked together at Bay News 9 for many, 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 many years. Well, the whole time I was there, I was there 18 years. Like I said, it feels like I was there maybe four, three years. I was there 18. No no one cares about the past. They really don't. And uh, he ended up being my boss. He, he ended up being my boss. He ended up being the sports director. I never wanted to be the sports director. I never wanted to be have the responsibility of people under me and, and budgets and this and timesheets and scheduling and no thank you. And he took that over. He, he worked under me when he started and he ended up being my boss. And I got to tell you, man, if you are fortunate enough to have a boss that always has your back and had my back. Man, there's nothing like it. And it's rare that it happens. A guy that I know posted, it was kind of like a meme, but it was hysterical, but it was also the truth. And it was this gentleman with this accent and it was hysterical, but it was also the truth. And boss doesn't care about you when he says, oh, I hope you feel better. You're feeling sick. The boss, what he really means is, I hope he gets his ass back here because when he's out, he's not making the company money. All I care about is the budget. The budget hit numbers. We have to make money. A boss doesn't care about you or what you have going on in your family. They may say it. And I was like, this is hysterical. It was done really funny, but it was true. And I was thinking, I'm like, it's true. I mean, it's work. It's business. When you're working for somebody, bosses have to hit the bottom line. And I was lucky enough for, God, 10, 15 years, ever since he became a boss, that he had my back. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Chris Elias, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Next, next week. Next Tuesday on the Rock Stops Here, scheduled. 
Now, before you get on me and saying, oh, it's politically incorrect, he's a midget. He see you call. He says, listen, he saw he was a dwarf. Uh, dwarfism. He's three foot five, I believe, 85 pounds. His name is Demo. He used to be Demolition Man. He was a uh, midget wrestler. Now they're doing midget boxing. He'll do, hey, he'll do anything. He says, we're athletes. Why do you just call us midget wrestlers? Uh, Chip Santiago, uh, Demo. I ran, I ran into him years and years ago. We, I actually knew him before that, and I didn't even know it. And I went into his buddy's man cave, and we had a great, great talk. And I, I, I'm, I got that scheduled for for next week. So that's what's dropping, unless something earth shattering comes along. So listen, thanks for listening, man. Thanks for hanging in there. My thanks to Andy Freed. Congratulations on your success. Doing what you wanted to do as a little boy. The only job you wanted. And you got it. And you're still doing it in Major League Baseball. How cool is that? All right, listen. Have a great week, man. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Same place. Same time. Right here on The Rock Stops Here. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Aftermath of UFC 276. And um, scrolling through my Twitter timeline, one of the, the more interesting things that I saw was the finish rate of UFC champions and where Izzy stands in this list. Izzy's finish rate in the UFC is 33%. The only fighter that is lower than 33% is Carla Esparza. So just kind of give a full list here. Yuri, he's at 100%. Nganu, 91.7%. Uh, Oliveira, 90.5%. Nunez, 71.4%. Figueredo, 70%, which you brought up. That's kind of an interesting number. In fact, that that's at flyweight. Pena, 57.1%. Shevchenko, 50%. Sterling, 38.5%. Usman, 33.3%. Volkanovsky, 33.3%. But you brought up a really interesting point about the three fighters that are all at 33%. Usman, Volkanovsky, and Adesanya. Maybe it has a lot to do with the competition they're facing. Yeah. You have Usman at welterweight, Volkanovsky at featherweight, and Adesanya at middleweight. I think the only other weight class that I would put in that top four is lightweight. I think those are the top four weight classes in the UFC. In fact, I would probably say lightweight might be the toughest weight class in the UFC. So hats off to Charles Oliveira, who I also spent time fighting at featherweight. But it, 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 yeah, there are a couple things here. One, when you look at this list, Oliveira, who has a 90.5% finish rate in 21 fights. I think that speaks to it's crazy. We, we are underestimating how legendary what Oliveira is doing at both 45 and lightweight. That's astonishing. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.